land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment, or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wargent, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. Chris Bates, welcome to this episode, Two Cents episode of the Australian Property Podcast, mate. Oh, and so good to do one with you. I've done a few with Pete, and so now you've done one with Pete, so it's um, good to be in the chair with you. Yeah, it is, mate. Recording, uh, we record this during the week, but it goes live on a Sunday morning. Bit of a digest of what's happened on the week, and I always tune in and love it. Um, once again, like when I filled in for you, I was definitely, um, like Pete was carrying me, it's fair to say, but this week... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's you carry me in, in Pete's absence. But what have you been up to, mate, this week? Oh, this week's been a, it's been a big week. I uh, my daughter had an operation, so that was quite. We, we had more anxiety than she did going into that. <laughs> uh, but it all went well. It was only adenoids and grommets, but uh, yeah, just ha- getting ready for that and getting her through that was the big sort of life thing. Um, and you know, we did a rebrand, went finally live last mm. week, and um, yeah, lots is happening on the, the new hire started a few weeks ago. So yeah, lots happened on the business side and. And personal, so yeah, things are yeah. good. It's uh, that's good. Glad to hear she's doing well, mate. Um, of course. And I know, like you and I chat a lot, right? Um, about business and about life in general. But how's business going in terms of like it's just like since you won the the award not too long ago, you got the rebrand happening. It seems like a lot is moving and underway at Blast. Yeah, I mean, there's always a market-driven right sentiment. And I think that's definitely seen what we've seen is slowly graduate, uh, gradual increase in positive sentiment all the way back to sort of October, November, December last year. We could, as brokers, we're very leading indicators on what people are thinking, what they're feeling, you know, how their approach is, what they're scared around around property because they come to us first. And so we could see that, you know, people were a little bit like, well, actually, maybe it is a good time to buy all the way back in December. And you can see CoreLogic have come out with, 
numbers to show that over the first quarter, prices actually went up a lot around the country. But we could see that back then. And I think uh, once rates would stop going up last month, even though they went up, you know, this month, which we'll talk about, but that was like one of the final things we would go, oh, deep, you know, deep sigh of relief. Maybe they're not going to go up to these crazy levels. And the media started to shift, you know, there was, you know, the boom is coming back and all that sort of uh clickbait media was back in the media and we also see a huge increase in in people coming to us that oh actually no i don't want to miss the bottom now's a good time to buy so that pent-up demand starts to come to us so we're absolutely the the sentiment and the inquiry's gone up a lot um and people's you know desire and urgency the buyer urgency is the key thing so yeah you want to get ready you want to buy but if you're not urgent and you don't actually go on transaction just sit on your hands and so yeah absolutely people are out there making offers and going to auctions which is another thing we'll talk about today yeah, we're going to talk about, we're going to touch briefly on the RBA uh, rate increase, which you mentioned. Um, we're going to share a bit of a resources, um, like, I guess, insight, what, what you would look at, what Pete looks at, what people in the industry look at, which is from CoreLogic. Uh, it's a monthly pack, which we'll put a link in the show notes to. And then we've got a bit of a dissect of the budget night, which is interesting in a few different ways. And then finally, just touch on the clearance rates, which have been pretty strong recently and kind of just lead on from what you just said there. But, mate, um, maybe get the ball rolling obviously been in the, uh, about a week or so for people to digest the latest RBA rate, rate increase. Um, I guess, what did you make of that? Like the, the RBA saying that they wanted to bring forward basically the expectation of hitting that 2 to 3% band um, and hence the rate increase. Most economists didn't predict it. Some did. Um, is this the end like of the, the, I guess, the cycle? Just general thoughts. Yeah, I think um, I got interviewed uh, on the Monday, I think it was, um, prior to it. And I looked at the market. The market said 0% chance of a, a rate increase. Um, I, I joked with the journalist. We had to give him two quotes. What happens if the rates go up? What happens if the rates um, go, <laughs> don't go up? Um, and I was like, well, it's probably no talk about, point talking about rates going up. But then the market always teaches you a lesson, right? The market yeah. is, you, um, and that's over 15, 13 years in financial advice. I learned that lesson so many times, right? Um and I think that's, that's the interesting thing, but I think it makes sense though, right? Because you could already see, they would already be able to see there's a bit of positive um, news flowing to the property market, the wealth effect that that creates. Um, they potentially see that the last thing they want to do is get this inflation genie under control and then it to drag on, you know? And so I, I think actually in, on reflection in hindsight, it makes sense just to maybe give us one or two more rate increases, just give us a couple more slaps and make sure that we stop our spending just so we can get inflation under control. Because the last thing they want to do is start to see some really positive news in the property market. People feel wealthier again and people go back and spend and they're not worried about rates because the asset prices are going up. And so, yeah, on reflection, it makes sense. But when you look at the market pricing again, it's zero you know, chance next month. So maybe there is still one more, mm. but... It's it can't be like five or six more, right? Um, and you know what they're all the market saying is if inflation does get under control, there'll be quite significant cuts. You can one other thing we're going to potentially touch on today is building approvals. Um, I mean, it's, they're at all time lows, right? And so we can see there's these huge headwinds coming for the economy down the line. Let's say that's just the construction industry, where they're going to want to have to stimulate demand, and that's potentially things like rate cuts. So. I would say that we're getting very close to the end of the rate cycle. But I also think buyers weren't deterred. Like, you know, all the mm. clients that we've got pre-approved didn't think, oh, I'm not going to buy now because there's been one more rate increase. You know, they're in the market. They're not concerned about that. They're more focused on the uh, – they're not as worried as they were in 2022 when rates were just going up 50 basis points at a, at a time. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – it's no matter what happened, it didn't really affect buyer demand. Um 
And I don't think yeah. it's going to change seller behavior at all either. So um, it's a bit of a non-event really. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about clearance rates in just a moment, but um, even the, uh, the like the unemployment rate still so strong um, and implying, you know, people are still fully employed. We actually, um, on our Australian Finance podcast, we spoke to Matt Cowgill from, uh, from Seek, economist at Seek, and he mm. said that they're seeing so much activity, like huge number of listings for jobs. And also what he seems to suggest be finding in the data is that a lot of people are switching careers and switching jobs mm. and getting the, the pay rises that they want because the market is so tight. And so I guess like, the RBA is just trying to be like cautious in that view of reaching that target because if they're not, like you said, if it's in the bottle but it's kind of just still tipping over every time, um, it's going to keep rising. But um, what, what do you think then like with the rhetoric recently about prices, like house prices, going up in 2023 and you talk about the wealth effect, right? What do you think the implications are there for the RBA? Like, do you think that would spook them then if, if we see the wealth effect kicking off, may they have to increase again? I think you're right around the worker mobility. I think that's, that's a key um, issue. And I, I, you know, there was a whole talk about the great resignation, right? There was this huge wave. Everyone's going to quit their jobs coming out of COVID and go and finally pursue the job they always wanted to. Um, I would say that that's really, you know, being killed, right? I, I would say mm. that, yeah, I know Seek saying there's a lot of opportunities out there and people are doing it. But through the conversations that I'm having with clients, you know, redundancy is a common thing we're talking about. Yeah. Um, people are very nervous around, um, you know, the clients who are a bit concerned around their jobs, um, in like in tech industry and lots of different industries, um, you know, they're, they're a bit apprehensive on going into debt. So I would say it's, you know, 2021, everyone was very confident around their jobs and things like that. But I would say, you know, sorry, 2022, 2023, I'd say that people are a little bit more concerned around a recession, maybe getting made redundant. And that's going to slow down the people willing to to quit and take and, and look. True. So I would say that's probably my uh, a good sign, I guess, for getting inflation under control because we don't get this wage price spiral where people are swapping jobs, getting pay rise, costs are going up, prices have to go up, et cetera. Um, I do think the wealth effect is probably a good thing. I mean, they don't really want house prices to keep falling, right? Um, and But I think it's just – I don't think they're expecting a big run in prices in the short term unless there's quite significant cuts. And there's probably not going to be significant cuts till inflation's under control. So I would say there's going to be a support to property prices, maybe not – a big collapse in property prices. But what's also going to make property prices go up a lot is rate cuts and borrowing capacity increasing. Um, and those two will probably come at the same time because the rate cuts will increase borrowing capacity. And that's also the perfect time for APRA to step in and reduce the assessment rate because it can say, well, why would I have a 3% assessment rate above the current rate, which is really conservative, when rates are going down, when we mm. potentially... And so... I, I didn't think they were worried about a, a running prices, but I'd say they're pretty happy to see a support in prices rather than prices keep falling and you've got bank issues and all that sort of thing. Um, there's one, obviously I'd be remiss not to ask you, mate, about like people in the finance process or even people like myself, right, who have a mortgage. Um, what are we seeing in terms of, uh, don't want to use the word, but the dichotomy or the difference between fixed rates and variable rates for people in the market now? Uh are we starting to see that shift in, in I guess, back towards like I'm, I'm hopeful as a variable, 100% variable uh, mortgage holder that uh, potentially um, we start to see the, the the rates on fixed rates become more appealing in time? Like uh, how, how are you seeing that? 
so there is potentially a little bit of a um, benefit, you know, especially with the last rate increase, um, you know, the one-year fixed rates of we've been doing a few of those, not many. So probably 90-plus percent of our loans are going down on variable. 2021, 2022, you know, 80 90%, well, definitely 2021, you know, 80% of our loans were fixed, right, because uh, mm-hmm. they were getting fixed rates in the twos, you know, and even high ones. Um, so I would say definitely it's still uh, a big swing to variable rates and long, but fixed rates have been coming down. So that's also a good sign that longer-term rates and longer-term funding is getting cheaper. And so, um, but I would say it's still not a good bet, you know, because if you, depending on what happens to, you know, the inflation story, if there was the big rate cuts next year, those fixed rates would very quickly be out of market, right? Um, so I'd say you have to be very concerned around um, your cash flow and be willing to, um, yeah, take that risk that you could be out of market if rates do get cut, which I just don't think we'd really want to encourage our clients. So the one-year fixed rate, I mean, I, I fixed for one year on my loans, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, I actually thought when the when the rate story changed, when rates yeah. were going to go up, I was like, oh, no, maybe I have I shouldn't have fixed. But then there was that extra rate rate increase, which um, was a good decision in the end. But, um, yeah, that's that's the issue with rates. I mean, you wouldn't want to fix very long. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like the, what we would call on the other side of the fence, duration, uh, is the key thing to think about. I don't want yeah. to bore people with the the theoretical side of that. But um, so the, the the other thing that we wanted to talk about uh, and touch on, which more of like a helpful resource, which I didn't know about until coming into today's um, today's recording, mate, which is this idea that CoreLogic puts out a monthly resources pack for property of anyone interested in the economy or property, generally speaking. Um, and you can access this, if I'm not mistaken, every month. It's totally free. Yep. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's from CoreLogic, who many of you will know. Um, but maybe if we pull like a couple of things out of that resources pack and uh, and just kind of riff from there. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever it uh, is released, I'm downloading it that same day. Um, and, you know, there's lots of great points. You know, it means there's 10.9 million dwellings. It shows that the value of property is like 9.5 trillion, but there's only $2.2 trillion of debt in the property market. Like you can get some really great stats like that. You can see how many sales there are per year as a, you know, there's 470,000 sales as a country you know, per year. So you get a real good uh, bird's eye view, but then it goes down to to really tracking price changes. Um, and what I love in this, you can also see listings changes and actually how many sales are going through um, in each mm-hmm. city and um, and compared to longer term averages. Um, what's some interesting things, I guess, this month, you know, days on market um, in the capitals have sort of come back down. It was really increasing all the way through 2022. So that's a good sign that Properties are selling a bit faster. Um, even the discounts starting reduce. That, that's how much vendors have to reduce their prices. But the key thing I think in this report it kind of shows is that listings have just never sprung in spring. You know, they just didn't go up. There's usually a real increase in listings in spring, late late in 2022. That didn't happen. But it also was really underwhelming in you know autumn in 2023. There just wasn't many new listings and. New listings is supply. So when the supply gets really tight or something, that supports prices. Um, and you can see total listings in the country are just ridiculously low, right? They're 30% under five-year average, right? Um, and you can see mm. in some cities it's, you know, um, where listings have gone up, right? Like Hobart um, and, you know, regional Victoria and regional Tasmania listings are up a lot. But if you look at a lot of the other places in the country, listings are down substantially, Um and yeah, and another interesting thing I think in this report, I think it's um, something to always watch is it's just new dwelling approvals. Um, and so you can see there was a huge increase in the COVID home builder time. Um, and this has ended up being that a lot of builders are going bust because of the fixed price contracts, et cetera. But 
you can see that not just for houses, but for apartments and, and units, we've got a very small pipeline building of future supply. And that's really concerning when we're in a, mm -hmm. you know, a rental crisis. Um, and, you know, and even for our construction industry, which is a big employer in our, in our country. Mm. It's, it, it's both units and houses, just to confirm for people, it's that are well below average, um, which is very concerning when you think about what's on the market, right? But then the forward order book, which is that the dwelling approvals, um, is also low. I think Pete mentioned in an email to us that it's the, the, for the quarterly figure, it's the lowest figure since 2012. So we've got, as I think me and you talked about this maybe a year or two ago, this idea of a profitless boom for a lot of mm. builders. And now we're kind of seeing all of those lack of profits come through and insolvencies rise. But it means that people aren't also buying off the plan. They're not, you know, there's not, there's, the demand's just not there. Um, and that's, that's got some real, I, I feel like, as the less educated one here, Chris, I feel like it's got some serious implications for not just what happens to prices now, but what happens to prices in two, three, four years, particularly against the backdrop of a lot of this stimulus that is supposedly and the government support for new dwellings. Like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, we've got, you know, big immigration. We've got people that are in their 20s getting married, moving out of home. You know, there's new dwelling formation. We've got Simon coming on the podcast and Kushta uh, Marker from the Demographics Group um, is going to help us explain, you know, house, household formation and how that is future supply of, um, or demand that we, we need to be concerned of. So absolutely, I think we need to be building if we're growing our population and growing our households. Um, and this is basically showing we're not. We're also seeing... Um, you know, we do a lot of not so much helping people buy house and land or helping people buy, you know, off the plan apartments, et cetera, but people doing construction. So, you know, additions or alterations to their current property and they come to us and ask for a construction loan. Yeah. We saw a huge increase of that in 2020, 2021, right? People living more time at their home. Um, people got their equity there. They can get access to money cheaply. So that is really dried up, you know, A, because they're getting huge quotes um, when they go to, to do these renovations. B, then they have to uh, have the equity to do that, um, which is harder now because valuations have come down. And then finally, do they want to when rates are 5 or 6%? Like, are you that motivated to do this yeah. renovation when it's high interest rates? Well, no. And so I think even for the, the more uh, boutique builder that's maybe doing the, you know, 500 to $2 million renovations, they're going to really see some challenges in a couple of years' time because we're just not seeing that demand building. We're just not um, until you see rate cuts and still you see supports in prices and maybe still you see materials and labour come back down. And so, um, yeah, I, I do worry about them as well, who have maybe got a great pipeline for the next one or two years, um, maybe not that long, um, and then they're going to be, be some struggling times. And then you'll probably also have a bit of a like an opportunity cost here, right, just thinking um... – you, if you if you rates and your your cost of what we would call cost of capital, like the the, the money mm. that you deploy into Renault is so high, you you probably you're probably more likely to make the the conscious choice now and the trade off. Well, do I renovate or do I look at a new place? Maybe this is my opportunity. If I do have the borrowing capacity, maybe this is the opportunity. Instead of that upgrading, let's maybe switch. I don't know if that's fair, but um, I know a lot of our community are looking for those like those construction loans and to to, to renovate. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a conversation right now is if you don't need to renovate, there's a couple of clients in the last couple of weeks I'm thinking about that um, have made the decision, you know what, we're not going to renovate in this environment. We're just going to live in our current property, but we're going to use our capacity still. And so we're going to go and buy an investment property or we're going to get into mm. the markets and look at shares, et cetera. So yeah, they're still getting access to that credit. 
but they're not going to put into the construction industry. They're going to go and do further investing. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely, because, yeah, A, they get a return on that money from a rental income or dividends, et cetera, uh, and B, they don't have to sort of wear this higher interest cost on their home um, through a renovation that they can just delay and do it in the future at a better price. Mm. Um, well, the, the the thing that we have to talk about on the show this week is yeah. um, this idea of, uh, you know, the budget night, right? Everyone yeah. gets out, the, the journos get a bit of time in the data room to prepare their notes for the next day. And uh, we had the, the budget out. It's back in black, is fair to say. Um, lots of like booms in energy, oil, gas, uh, coal, iron ore, record profits, um, big, big dollars for the government, um, moving that surplus ahead of time, which is really, I guess, impressive for our country. Uh, but as it relates to property, Chris, there were a few things that we could pull out. I think maybe one of the things that we wanted to talk about was this idea of like this support for build to rent uh, through multiple, I guess, lenses. You've got like what we already know from the institutional level and from government support around infrastructure and so on and so forth, but uh, right down to in investors and depreciation rates. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. Yeah. But maybe just just to fill people in if they're new to the podcast, new to this idea of build to rent. Can you just maybe just explain that real quick before we uh, jump into it? Yeah, so I haven't got the exact numbers, but, you know, pretty much, you know, 98% of our properties are owned by individuals, right? Like, you know, mm. singles, couples, mums and dads. Um, they're not owned by big corporates, right? There is a bit of social housing and, and things like that. So it's really the residential property market hasn't been attractive for super funds or for companies to invest in because a lot of the taxes, et cetera. Um, and so what people do is build to sell. A developer would build it and sell it because it would be really expensive to hold on to properties, right? Um, what they realise is that they, a lot of countries around the world is people do do this sort of build to rent model, right? The US, um, you know, in Europe, et cetera. Um, and it's not a bad option for renters because instead of having this landlord kicking you out after a year because they want to sell it so they can upgrade their home or they want to buy another investment property, you could get long-term um, tenancy, right? Mm. And that's a great option, right? could be great options for you, a couple or family. Um, and so I, I'm really a big fan of build to rent because it gives people long-term rental security, right? Um, the problem with the build to rent model is that it takes time to come up by the land, you know, figure out what you can build on it, get the builder, build it. And um, so I think it's just going to take some many years. And also to get the funding in this, it does align really well with the superannuation industry. You can see Australian super and a lot of the big super funds are, are becoming big players in it. Um, Assembly, I think it is there. Um, a big developer who's working a lot with the super funds. So it's a really exciting time. And Mervac are playing in this space a lot. Um, and so what they're basically doing is creating more rental accommodation. The problem is it's not going to be rental accommodation for the middle and lower incomes and our key workers and our um, the people who probably need the help the most. This probably rental accommodation is going to be targeted at the more higher end. Um, that's how they can make it profitable. I guess the benefit of that, if you take some of that demand from other mm -hmm. places they're renting and move it into this, maybe there's a little bit less stress on other rental accommodation. But I just don't see build to rent really uh and, and all around the world from what i've seen is it is targeted at that more affluent sort of renter um and so the problem is as well i mean there's about thirty thousand build to rents from my understanding in the pipeline there's about three million rental properties right if not more mm. so potentially there's one percent more rental properties coming to the market or over 10 years if you look at the plan is maybe there's another five percent um so it's very little it's not going to move the needle that much i don't believe um but what the government's basically done is that said, look, one of the things holding back the sector was a really high land tax. Um, yeah. 
and the way that depreciation works. What we'll do is we'll reduce the land tax from 30 to 15%. Um, the industry has been calling for that. I think it's a really good idea. And we'll re- increase the amount that they can depreciate their assets. So that that cost to benefit of whether they should, uh, a super fund should make this investment in this development it looks much more attractive. The return on equity looks much better now. Uh, and so we should get a lot more investment. And so that should be good for the construction industry, to be honest, because if we can't sell build to rent, uh, you know, if they can't sell build to sell, which is like off the plan, um, and, you know, a lot of people aren't doing house and land packages, right, then this could be good for our construction industry. But I don't know if it's going to support the massive shortfall that we, we have coming. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking off air about the, and I know you and Pete have touched on the various um, initiatives before, but like the 1 million houses, the 10,000 homes through the extra funding and whatever. Um, I think the 1 million house goal is a very, very good political, uh, you know, phrase to say we're going to add this much. But when you think about 11 million homes in the, in the country, uh, that's a very significant increase in a very, very short period of time when we already have substantial increases and in dislocations in like building supplies and uh, prices of steel, timber, trades, um, that can have adverse consequences. I think the strategy overall, though, is basically trying to align the federal government with state governments and local councils to unlock land, to release land, to improve zoning, um, to basically remove some of the friction points that are unnecessarily perhaps caused by the government and just release that, which makes a bit of sense. There are a few other things, just uh, if I pull them out of the budget, um, I would say in for the most part, kind of underwhelming as an overall thing for property investors. Um, there was an increase in uh, social and affordability rentals. We've obviously got the rental crisis, as, as you, if you like. Um, rent assistance, there'll be an increase, substantial increase in rent assistance. Um, I think maybe the two things that are more targeted and a little bit more, I guess, interesting for people in and around these areas are one, which is the... I guess the the government basically put the Brisbane community on notice to say we are planning substantial investments in the Brisbane districts to support the 2032 Olympics, uh, announcing that they'll spend $3.4 billion in investment for infrastructure. Um, that's for the Olympic and Paralympic Games. Um, but this is a, a lot of this is still to come, meaning that they've announced it now, but it's likely not to be actually, you're not going to see the impact of this for a few years and the other one, Chris, was the um, the stadiums that one new stadium and a stadium upgrade to Launceston uh, for the AFL in Tasmania. Uh, basically, the AFL, for those of you that aren't in Victoria like I normally am, uh, the AFL is looking to increase its presence in Tasmania and to take a team down there because in the current AFL system, there isn't one, um, although North Melbourne and the Hawthorne team tend to play there a lot. And so it's basically a massive amount of stimulus, hundreds of millions of dollars going into uh, Tasmania in really targeted areas to try and improve that um, the sporting code down there, which could have small impacts for people in the areas. It's quite contentious. Um, but those two things were probably the the two key points around infrastructure spending. Like I said, if you unless you're investing in Brisbane or, or, or Hobart, it's probably not uh, something that's on your radar, but I thought I'd call that out. Um, but other than that, Chris, there was a few little things like um, subsidies and, and low interest loans for people that buy energy efficient white goods, solar panels, uh, and these types of things, as well as a few once-off things for particular groups around um, utility bills and subsidies and the like. But I, I'd say pretty underwhelming overall is my yeah. take. 
Yeah, the only thing to add is there's a 5% deposit home loan scheme, right, that the government yeah. um, offers, you know, 35,000 people can get access to it. I would say the demand for that scheme is really low just because of Absolutely. a lot of first-home buyers are really nervous um, with the market and interest rates and what they can borrow has come down a lot. Um, and But so what they've done is it's not getting the places really used. So they said, well, how can we allow more people to get access to it? So spouses and people who have maybe bought a property over 10 years ago. And so they have a real increase into the eligibility requirements, I guess. Um, and so that's, that's I think that's a good move. You know, I think that I was a little bit anti that policy at first um, when mm. it came out because you're just creating more demand. Um, but I think ultimately in a down market when the market needs support, it does make sense because they introduced that when the market was going up a lot, right? Um, and so you've got to be really careful entering, adding more fire to the more sticks to the fire at that point. The thing you said around the, the million homes, um, I do think in a rental crisis, in very low vacancy rates, in high migration, um, you in, in that is going to create uh, a social issue on both levels. I can't afford to buy, but I also can't afford to rent. Yeah. Um, you start to get, um, you know, real frustrations in the city um, on both levels. Even if you've got a rental property, you're paying more rent and you'd love to buy. And so I think this Yimby movement where it's people are saying, look, we want more homes, we want more available housing in the areas we want to live. I think that's going to have a really good push behind it in the next few years. And I think councils are going to have to potentially be a bit more relaxed around zoning because I think that there's going to be enough voice um, also coming from the parents of these kids. You know, they're seeing the frustrations of their kids and what they're having to deal with. Um, and so I think that, you know, along main roads, around train stations, around the key, even in the, the places that usually wouldn't get development, I think they're going to be potentially a little bit more open to it because there's going to be a bit more pressure from the local councils, the state council, the federal government to really unlock housing, um, which they've been, everyone's been sort of, uh, you know, trying to not allow more housing in a lot of these postcodes um, for so long. So mm. that would be my take at the moment. The movement's potentially um, shifting the other way. Yeah, well, it's a signal, isn't it, right? Like it's the government signaling to say we're going to get alignment between everyone. And we've seen various states do this um, as well with, you know, trying to ease and unlock certain areas, um, but it still has it hasn't had really the concerted support of like all levels of government. So, um, it's I agree with you. It's kind of like the the beginning of a wave that's going to the shift through uh, all parts of the country, and that's good news for investors. Yeah, it's very good news for investors, even homeowners right now. So, um, all in all, pretty positive. Um, and I guess it's just a play it by ear with the uh, whether or not we reach anything like 1 million homes, yeah. um, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but, mate, the final thing that we wanted to talk about today is basically the rise in clearance rates. And it probably makes a lot of sense to folks who are listening and thinking, well, you just said, you know, supplies down, demands up, um, probably makes a lot of sense. But it was surprisingly very strong at the weekend. Mm. And this is, a, you know, five days after a, a rate increase. Yeah, a lot of people in the property market go on and they track the clearance rate like it's gospel. It's yeah. the one indicator that says everything you need to know about the property market. That's definitely not the case. Mm -hmm. But what I call the clearance rate is the de desperation meter, right? The higher that goes, it means that buyers are more and more desperate and they're willing to buy properties um, no matter what, right? Because not every property at an auction should be selling, right? You know, a lot of them are not great assets. And so there should always be some properties that aren't transacting. You know, the vendor thinks it's worth more than it actually is. In boom times, though, the clearance rates rates go through the roof 
And I just think that's a sign that how much desperation or FOMO is in the market. But you can see that it's gone, you know, close to 80%, you know, in Sydney, Melbourne, um, in Adelaide, it's really strong, et cetera. So I would just say that the clearance rates have really jumped. Um, and it was surprising a lot of people how high they're going, um, which is a real sign that, yeah, low listings. And also people are getting more desperate. And so people are more willing to make compromises. And um, I think even in higher rates, environment you should also want to make less compromises because why would i want to buy that property pay a lot of interest if it wasn't a great property so to see people getting desperate in a high interest rate environment mm. is pretty concerning when potentially what would happen if rates started to fall right so this is only because rates are starting to pause um not that rates are falling right and not markets running on them so um yeah i, I was surprised to see it jumping so much so early in a recovery i guess um yeah and that's a real positive sign for prices um and that may not be positive for you if you're trying to buy yeah well we've also seen that something we didn't really touch on before is this idea of like the the, the regions are also tending that the, the data around the regions you can see it in the core logic data yeah um are starting to plateau as well so meaning that there's probably what we've been talking about a bit on the show recently which is that um there tends to be the migration back to the cities where oh, people want to be in the office and companies want you in the office and um that has an impact as well to the supply and demand dynamic um in these in these hotbeds so uh, it's it's pretty con like i don't know chris i feel like as a as someone looking to buy right now it's a pretty like it's a fascinating market um in terms of the high rates combined with the lack of supply but also the fear of what all the things that we're just talking about, about like the forward order looks like it could get worse before it gets better, like in the medium term. So, I mean, what's a, what's a, what's a buyer to do in this market? I think the key is being patient and persistent. And that's in any market. Um, the last thing you want to do now is just jump at this potential FOMO and go, Oh, if I don't buy now, prices are going to run on me and buy a poor asset because if rates do stay higher for longer than people expect, um, you know, there could be more pain ahead. And also if you decided to sell the property in a few years, you buy cost, you sell cost. So it's just been really, and even in the last year, it was just sort of been waiting for a good asset, which is really hard right now. Um, you know, a client will help me at the moment and um, we've had to realign them a few times. I was really keen on a property last week. Um, and, you know, it just comes out of desperation. It's just been looking for three, four months now. Um, and they're just tired. They just don't want to be looking anymore, right? And so that's also what happens is low stock creates this sort of... Um, exhaustion in the market and then people start mm. to get a bit irrational um so that would say that's the worst thing buyers should do right now is just still be patient still be persistent because you have to be in the market to find that good asset because if the agent doesn't think you're in the market then they won't give it to you and they'll give it to some other buyer first option to look at it and then they go and buy and you don't even know something happens so yeah in the market waiting for a quality asset um stress testing your financials okay even if rates did go up a bit more can i pay it under higher interest rates um getting a property that you've got long time to live in so not just a property that's going to last you for three or four years right and probably that you can grow into and maybe you do a renovation on it in the future um so it's got a future proof you as well um and then just doing all your real building and uh pest check and just making sure you buy something structurally sound because the last thing you want to then do is potentially have to do some remedial work under high labor and high materials and and all those mm. sort of things so um, with higher yeah, funding costs yeah so yeah. it's just a it's a it's a real you know, it's not a, a market just to take on risk. And if you don't buy now, then two, you know, a year's time, you're going to really regret it. I don't think it's that. 
Um, but I also think it's a market that if you don't play in it, you potentially could wish you bought last year um, when, you know, they could start to see a stabilising in prices, especially if there's talk of rate cuts and APRA step in next year. Um, you could start to chase chase your tail a little bit. Yeah, so I guess like the, the takeaway, which is, that's rather calming too, mate. So I appreciate that. Uh, it's the it's the takeaway is like you you have to be ready, but you have to be patient. Yeah, um, and that's probably the case for any market. I mean, the difference now is that a lot of people that may be in the rental market and looking to buy, um, you know, two years ago they didn't have the stress of the rental market necessarily. They still have to pay the, the rent, but didn't have the stress of it, and that's like an added pressure that they didn't have as well as the higher funding costs. So, yeah, well, yeah, it's a, there's yeah. a lot. Lot to go on, mate. Yeah, the rental market is an interesting one. So if you are in a, uh, the worst thing I think you can do, it's just like when someone's trying to upgrade is is get out of, you know, you've got this rental lease finishing, I don't know, on the 1st of September and you're like, well, I want to buy something because I don't want to go back into the rental market. And then you try to find a property that's going to solve your housing issue. Um, and you end up having to try to find this, buy this perfect property on the right day and get it to settle on the perfect day so you can, you know, move from your rental to your, your property. I think that's a really bad move. You'll, you'll act very emotionally. You'll mm. buy the wrong property because you'll be focused on buying the property that suits your timeline, not what suits you from a long style lifestyle point of view or what's an amazing investment. So if, you, if you're coming out of a rental and you, and you do want to buy, my advice would be get, you know, try to extend your lease, you know, even if it is at a higher rent, you know, just, to take that take that hit get yourself a longer time frame you know 12 months um and then just break the lease when you buy the right property um because yeah that break lease yeah. cost might be four weeks rent but that's you know a cost worth paying if it ensures you buy a great asset from an investment point of view and also the right property from a lifestyle point of view for you long term um so that is kind of like an insurance cost of protecting you from acting in, uh, emotionally and buying the wrong property. And so um, that's what we also see. People coming in out of the rental market can quickly buy the wrong property because they go from one frying pan to another. Absolutely, yeah. I think your desperation meter, the higher that goes, the um, multiples higher the mistakes or probability of mistakes would go. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. So just to, just to summarize, man, we covered a lot of ground and we covered it pretty quickly today, but we'll have links in the show notes to all these resources. In particular, this, this the monthly resource from CoreLogic, um, you'll find that in there. And it's just a great thing uh, to just jump on and, and just have a look at the charts and see what interesting data it is relevant to you and if you just like to keep your finger on the pulse. Uh, but we, we talked just briefly about the RBA increase. Um, Chris mentioned uh, that kind of had the, the interplay between fixed and variable at the moment is quite interesting, but um, don't want to kind of like lock yourself in for too long and regret minimization is probably the framework I'd apply there. Now, the CoreLogic resources pack, as I said, will be in the show notes. Uh, the days on market are coming down. Listings are extremely low. Uh, dwelling approvals extremely low. Like it's, it, we're not the first to say this, but uh, it's happening. Uh, budget night was pretty underwhelming overall. There's some pretty aspirational headlines there, but um, and some pretty aspirational forecasts across the board, not just as it relate to property, um, but a lot of support for build to rent. And we probably see that starting now for, this is probably not a one or two year thing. It's probably a decade long thing, uh, as well as some infrastructure spending in and around Brisbane in particular. So um, very interesting for those folks up there. And finally, clearance rates, uh, huge increase. Uh, and kind of out of fashion as well, which is um, quite interesting. Um, maybe if we can get a, a patent on Chris's desperation meter, um, we will have, we'll be referencing that this time next year and we'll see that spike. But, mate, um, people can find you at blusk.au. Uh, There's always a link in the show notes as well as getting in touch with Chris's team for mortgage broking 
Um, it's always great to work with Chris and, and I'm delighted that we work with Chris in, in many different ways, but here on the podcast in particular. So, mate, thanks for this. I hope the little one has a recovery. I know what it's like to get the uh, old tonsils out and the adenoids and all that. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it, mate, and good luck to her. Yeah, and everyone have a great Sunday. Good to chat, Owen. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thanks for tuning in to the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax or legal situation. With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service. Designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.